it's it's been a while. I want to thank you guys. It's it's been a while since I last preached, and I think um, finally my voice I think is almost back. I hope it continues on through the service. Um, I went to see a ENT, and they said, "Oh, there's some scarring in your vocal cords." So I'm about to start in the near future some therapy on the vocal cords, but I think it should it should last. And uh, you know, I'm excited to be back. You know, and I think. You know, just for you guys, this time around, I have a picture of uh, baby Caleb. So he's at home right now with mommy and our grandparents. And so he is doing well. <clears throat> Thankfully that he sleeps um, and he eats. And so we're just, you know, I think for that, I'm just so thankful to have, you know, her parents and just Jenny kind of taking over a lot. Um, and, you know, the past month of moving and unpacking and packing it's been it's definitely been a lot and so i'm really thankful to be back here to be to always supported by you guys and to be loved and you know i'm excited for what god is doing continuing to do in our church and continue to do in us so i'm going to continue on in our, in our series as we finished with with the first thessalonians <clears throat> right and today as we finish up the first thessalonians actually two more weeks this week and next week I have a titled a picture of a growing community as a title, a picture of a growing community. And Paul, as he gives these final instructions to the Thessalonian church in this letter, his words of encouragement, his instructions, I think they indirectly show us uh, and give us an understanding of the marks of a early growing church, marks of spiritual leadership. And I think that's something that I would like us to see, because I think what we see in just this letter is Paul is so excited to hear from them about to hear how they're doing how they're growing and in this way you just capture this picture of a growing community and also what marks should we look at and what marks are reminders of what that will look like in our lives today all right a little background again is in Acts 17 you know just the, this growing community was filled with persecution with potential hostile environment Right, it says here for in Acts 17, it talks about Paul going to Thessalonica. It talks about him staying there for <clears throat> three Sabbath days, right? I didn't include that. But in, in this way, it says the Jews there were jealous and they rounded up bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. And they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd. And in this way, Paul and Silas actually left Thessalonica and moved on to another another city as, as they continued to church plant. But it was only there for a short period of time. But just to see this, you see that the, the people there were hostile. They're not, they're, they were not happy. They were jealous with Paul and Silas. They were jealous with the, the church growing and potentially people coming to know Christ. And it says even more so in verse 13 of the same chapter is that these same people learned where Paul was going at the next Berea, at the next city, and they, they went there too. It must be something so personal, something so deeply rooted that you would actually go, go out of your way to travel to another city to stir up problems for Paul and Silas, right? So you have to see that this is something that beyond just, oh, it's hostile persecution, that people went out of their way, went out of their way to stop what Paul and Silas, to stop what they saw God was doing. And potentially this is the backdrop, 
right, of what the persecution, the people, the, the early church in Thessalonica was experiencing. And this backdrop shows how they were growing. And you, you, we heard all this in earlier on, how they were growing more and more, how people were coming to know Christ. And you see this backdrop as a way of what <clears throat> I would say as a way of forming and, and seeing people mature and grow in their faith, right? That they didn't have a lot of time with Paul and Silas. They didn't go over for years of teaching and training, but really it was through also through the experience, through understanding scripture, through the Holy Spirit, just kind of that molding them and suddenly growing their community, growing their people, right? And I think many times in times of turmoil and times of struggle, those are also the times perhaps for you and I that we see what we really value and how we live that out. And I see this in, in, this, <clears throat> in this church and in, in Thessalonica of what Paul is mentioning and what that would be encouraging for us today, right? So we're going to look at this, a picture of a growing community. And as Paul speaks, we're going to see how he reveals this marks of spiritual leadership in the church the marks of spiritual leadership, how it reveals the reality of a Christian community. And lastly, that reveals the need for grace. Right, we're going to look at all of these three in just three passages today. We're going to look at this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. It says this, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you, Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. I think what this is titled, if you read, when you read the scriptures of the introduction of what it, kind of each passage is the final instructions that Paul is giving the Thessalonian church. But what I want to highlight is actually, as he gives these instructions, it reveals marks of a spiritual leadership, marks that we should look at and we should think about and consider even who are our spiritual leaders, right? In 1 Thessalonians, it says this, it says, work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of work produced by faith, labor prompted by love and endurance inspired by hope. Right, we've gone through this uh, multiple times in the, in the series, but I think this is the backdrop I want us to see because as, Mark, as Paul is saying this, he is asking the Thessalonians to acknowledge the leaders around them. But what does he ask them to acknowledge? And I think this is helpful for us as marks of spiritual leadership. He's asking them to acknowledge those who work hard among them, who care for them in the Lord and admonish them. Right, let's kind of slowly unpack this, right? Those who work hard among them, those who have worked and spent time, you know, this is a backdrop of what you see a persecution perhaps of what they were doing and how they have left their lives and followed Jesus, come to know Jesus and what that will look like as they radically change up their paradigms, their values in their lives. And in doing so, what we see in the early church, many have sold all that their belongings or do, done 
many radical things that we consider. But at the same time, what's probably important here is that they worked hard among. I think <clears throat> something that we see often and comments that I've heard in the past too, not of our church, but necessarily if I've heard around, is that it is common to see pastors or leaders when they say, oh, they don't work really hard. Like, I don't know what they're doing. And I think this is one is, is that it, this is a mark of a spiritual leader in, in any of your lives, any of our lives, as someone that works hard among us and in doing what? It says, care for you in the Lord, admonish you. I think it's easy to be friends with people. It's easy to kind of be, you know, get along and be in good friendship. But per perhaps what's sometimes hard is to be caring in the Lord, because that goes through the ups and downs and even the idea of admonishing. Admonishing in this context use uh, is, is to correct but not in a way that is provoking or embittering. It's not to just look at something and just kind of saying guilt or fear, but rather it is something that brings out saying, hey, I recognize this. And someone in our lives that we can see that's, that we would give the ability to say, hey, I hear what you're saying. I recognize, I may not agree even, but the having people in our lives that will care for us that will speak truth to us. I think in our culture, in our world, perhaps it's not very different, is that it is easy to hear all the good things, but potentially hard to hear things that are challenging in our lives. If we have those kind of people in our lives to admonish, to care for us. I can remember a time <clears throat> for myself when I was in grad school and I don't think, I think when we think about, when I think about admonishing, I think sometimes it's like, ooh, I don't know if I want that, right? But I remember in grad school, I was in a journal club, which is something that we do. We present a paper of, a, <clears throat> of some other work and we present it to the lab in ways that you teach each other and you learn from it and you kind of grow from that. And you do that, we rotate around the lab. Every person has to do it. And so in two months or so, two to three months, you have to present it once, a, a different paper, a different thing. And we used to have it in the lab at noon. And that's great for me, right? At noon, we eat lunch together, we listen, we think about things, we, we kind of absorb and kind of create that into how, what we're doing and what we're researching. But for a period of time, we changed it to 8 a.m. And that was immensely difficult for me. And I remember sitting there and you know sometimes the lights are a little dim because you want to see the quality image of you know and you want to see how they're contrasting and all this stuff and I was starting to fall asleep and I remember my boss he was the one giving the presentation right so even he goes through it so he's there giving the presentation and then he sees me my eyes starting to, to close slowly and I've, I've been trying my best to stay awake you know I've been like you know, you try to clench, you try to move around, shift, all this other stuff. But then he just said, Phil, this is really important in front of everybody. He's like, Phil, this is really important. You got to, you know, you got to stay awake for this. And then, you know, obviously when you got your name called out, you're like, Whoop, okay, I'm awake, you know. But it, it was a time where I'm like, oh man, how do I feel about this? Someone that just said, oh, I just, you know, obviously that's on me for, for getting sleepy at eight. I shouldn't have stayed up or whatever it might be. 
But it was, it was hard to hear. But at the same time, I realized over our relationship, <coughs> over my relationship with him, why my, my older son, he's named after him as my professor, my kind of my mentor, is that he was able to admonish, to correct, to give me encouragement, to yet at the same time speak truth. And there are times where he spoke in ways that he's like, Phil, what does it look like to be a successful grad student? You know, now I have to even step and, and kind of listen through and hear him and actually respond back and say, I don't agree. Do you know, I was like, I don't agree with, with what it will look like. And this is what I'm willing to do, right? But having that kind of relationship, having someone to speak truth, this is what Paul is talking about. And in a spiritual way, right? Not just, uh, <clears throat> and it, it's both. It's not just separating out spiritual and your work but having people in our lives that could speak into our lives that we can hear without automatically shutting off, without automatically cutting them out, that we know that they genuinely care for us, not because they want us to change or to, to do things, but that what we see here and what Paul is mentioning to, those, to the Thessalonians are to recognize people that work hard, that reach out, that, that care for you, that will admonish and speak truth to you. I think those are something that are so important in, in a culture and a time like us where <clears throat> perhaps much of what we sometimes think about is how it's relative. Do you know, there's not necessarily a certain standard or true or kind of moving towards Christ at times. It's just, oh, well, compared to X, Y, Z, we're good. Right? But having this idea of growing more and more, I will speak on that later. But this, this marks of a spiritual leader in any church, in any area outside the church, are people that work hard, that you see them serving the Lord, caring for you in the Lord, and admonishing you. And those are three marks of a spiritual leader in a growing community, in a growing church. And what does it say as it goes on? It says, hold them in the highest regard because what? Because of their work. It's because of what you've seen them do, because you've seen the fruits of what they have done. I think more and more, sometimes we're driven by potentially titles and roles. And that dictates what you do, what respect you're given, and what, what people see in your life. But rather, what Paul is saying is, hold these people in highest regard. Why? Not because of their title necessarily, not because of their, like, what you see as what they, the title that they have, but rather because of what they have done, because of their work and what you can physically and tangibly see in their lives. I think that is something that is, that really stands out as we think about Mark's of spiritual leadership, that it isn't a certain title, a certain role that projects us into spiritual leadership or loving and caring. Rather, it is these things that are actions already happening that then have the title or have recognition of that. And I think it's something important for us in this church and any other churches that we are part of or we visit 
or even outside is that it's not so much seeing titles as the way to designate people, but rather what they, how you see their lives and their walks with God. I think as listeners, as what Paul is speaking to them, is that he wants them to specifically acknowledge. Acknowledge those, hold them in highest regard. And I, re- <clears throat> I realize for us, for each one of, who are those people that we recognize, that we acknowledge as our spiritual leaders, as people that we trust to speak truth to us? And I think if we can't think of it, I really highly recommend seeking those people out, joining different things, being open and honest and vulnerable to those around us. It's, it's, it's important. It's something that as we walk in <clears throat> with God, as we get older and older, it's easy to hit these plateaus and just be, this is how I am and I'm okay with it. But rather what we see over and over in, in scripture and in Thessalonians is that Paul tells them more and more, grow that in these more and more. I think it's hard when we think about this. It's nice to think about and to, to theory, in theory, live out. But in practice, it is tough. It is tough to really have that kind of genuine community where people can speak and where we wouldn't take it as criticism, but rather, it, may, it might be, but rather in love in the Lord. And I don't want to take away any of what you have experienced in the past out of, of bad leadership, because I want to recognize that there have been many that have abused, whether it's their title, their roles, your trust, your vulnerability, your heart. And I don't want to excuse that because there, that is something that each and every one of us will be accountable to. But rather, the ideal and the, the reality is that we should have spiritual leaders. We should identify, acknowledge, and seek out. I think this is why <clears throat> I think in practice is actually very hard and why Paul says this at the end. He says, live in peace with each other, right? And imagine this. It's, it's, this peace is not in the absence of conflict or tension because in reality, these leaders, whoever they may be, is admonishing, is caring for them. And so there might be tension of correction. There might be friction and all that. But in that friction, in that tension, in that potentially conflict, that he's saying live in peace with one another. Right? That it must be hard in that time to actually receive. And, and just ask yourself how you and I, how we receive when people speak and, and give us criticism or, or admonish us. Let's not, criticism sounds too negative. Admonish, right? Correcting without embittering, without provoking, right? Speaking truth in love. And that's done, that's really hard to do. And I, but when that is done, how do we respond? And I think this is what Paul is saying. Live in peace with each other. It's, you know, I think when we see this backdrop, I also want to highlight what Acts 17, what Paul, of uh, this church, who are the makeup, the demographics of this church. In Acts 17, it says at the very end, 
of uh, verse four, it says some of the Jews, so Paul's going to synagogues. He's, he was there for three Sabbath days. He reasoned with people, explaining and proving the Messiah, right? Had to suffer and rise from the dead. And he says, and it says some of the Jews were persuaded, joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of Greek, God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. And I think we read this and we're just like, oh, that's cool. But you have to think that when we read this, and we, we take this in is that this whole structure, social structure might be changed, right? The fact that there might be women in, in, in different places and leadership regarded in different ways. There might be Jews that were in synagogues and yet at the same time, God-fearing Greeks, Gentiles being raised up, potentially even social status of what we've been doing in our, in our community group in Baltimore on Philemon of social structure changes from a slave to uh, equal, to brothers, right? Imagine all that changing together and being at the early church. This is what it looks like when Paul is also speaking, live in peace with each other. Don't take what people, you know, who are these leaders? We don't know, but could it be someone that were from a, at that time, a lower social structure status, social status that they see as been a leader that speaks into their lives. I would think that's possible. But that is in our time today. And I love the fact that we have college students. I love Stepping Stone. And that'd be like, or actually, no, you know what? This is easier. When my kids speak to me in truth and say, daddy, didn't you tell me not to do this, but aren't you doing this? And I'm like, that's right. You know, I'm like, I'm sorry. You're right. You're absolutely right. But see, I take it without, without being like, oh, no. I, I mean, I could be like, no, wait, I, I didn't make a mistake. I could explain it because you did X, Y, Z, which I have. But the reality is, how do we receive that speaking in truth? How do we receive that? And then living peace and that being a church, a community, a growing and thriving people of God. Because what we see in the first point of marks of spiritual leadership, I want to point to the second of what we see in this passage, the realities of Christian community, the reality of a growing Christian community, right? That a genuine community is messy. It's messy. Paul is very specific. We don't know what it is necessarily who he's speaking to, but he says this, he says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak. I don't think the you know, scholars, think it's not just, it's not primarily the weak as in physically weak, but spiritually, spiritually weak. But he is speaking specifically to the church saying there are people in this church that are idle and disruptive, that are disheartened. And sometimes I, I realize when I mention this, the realities of the messiness of, of Christian community is that we all try to present ourselves in certain ways that is, this is the, you know, and this, this is the Sunday fill that wears a dress shirt and has my hair gelled. But you see Monday to Saturday, you'll love seeing a hat and a t-shirt, right? But the messiness of Christian life is together in community is that we will all go through ups and downs. We will all go through difficulties, struggles, 
And it is not in a way that we say, ideally, oh, that's, this is great, and we're just going to be together and growing Christian community, but it's to embrace the fact that there are times and places where it's okay to be not okay, where it's sometimes where we're working it out with God, where it is difficult. And although Paul is saying specifically identifying certain people, it is also good to note that he's at the end saying, be patient with everyone. He is encouraging them that this is, this is a growing community. You want to be these spiritual leaders. You want to speak truth into people's lives, but at the same time, it's going to get messy. It is not easy. You know, what, <clears throat> what we mentioned earlier in the early church and what we see in Acts and that's actually the next sermon series that we're going to kind of go through in the book of Acts, the early church as they're growing, is that you see people walking and, and I would say taking their faith seriously and radically in ways. And that you can then compare and contrast easily when they say idle and disruptive. But what we see and what we know is that everything in their lives are potentially changed. Their paradigms, their values, when they encounter the gospel. And in this way, it must be potentially disheartening, a struggle, disruptive to their lives. And in, that, in those places, what does it look like to be patient? to encourage people to grow more and more still, right? Paul does this in Thessalonians, right? earlier on in chapter four that I love. He says, you know, in order to live your, in order to please God as in fact you are living, they're doing that already. But he says, no, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Right? In verse 10, it goes on, the love all of you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. That there is this striving of growth and desire to grow. And Paul is encouraging them, their leaders are, that there would be tension, conflict, but yet living in peace and in patience and loving one another and caring for each other in the Lord. That's the picture that we see in these verses in Thessalonians. And for us, I think this is something that's important. I think oftentimes I think it's easy to just identify, well, <clears throat> it could be easy in, to identify, oh, this, I'm doing poorly, this X, Y, Z, or this person's not doing well. But it is to be patient and to do, be loving with one another and to actually be humble. In 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions this in chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. He mentions this about scripture in general, about the history of Israel. He says, these things, what you're learning and what you're reviewing, what you understand, happened to them, Israelites, the history, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. 
I love how Paul kind of brings it in. He's like, you're learning, you're growing, but be careful. You think you're standing firm, but be careful. It is easy to fall into the same traps, the same struggles. It is natural, especially when temptations and, and the, the circumstances are difficult. I think this is the reality that I want us to recognize that the Thessalonians were perhaps going through and actually what we see in our lives here. And I think that is why Paul, as he's mentioning all this to, to identifying these specific people, but he really says it ends with be patient with everyone. Be patient. That in this growing community that you will see a spectrum of people that are doing well and people that are wrestling with God, feeling that God is not spoken to them, feeling that God is, <clears throat> that God is silent. And we see this even in the greatest, in the great prophets that we see that they wrestled with, is God speaking? Where is he? I don't know. So it won't be very different for you and I to go through times of struggle and times of growth. And in that way, I think it paints this picture of a growing community and one that Paul calls for them to be patient with one another, one another and for us to be patient with one another. And lastly, as he finishes up, I think it reveals the need for grace. Because I think, I think as they, each one of them, as they come to know Jesus, as they were reasoned with, as they, Paul was proving to them why Jesus had to suffer and rise and raise, be raised from the dead, it shifted their whole worldview and their understanding. It shifted their values and what they perhaps know is important for them. I don't think that's very different for us. But he says this, <clears throat> he ends it with this instruction, with this, make sure he gives them this paradigm that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. The natural tendency, for me at least, is to pay back something, someone that it's wronged me to wrong them back or to somehow protect myself and to do certain things. And I'm, I remember making specific choices and it's, it's even today and it will continue tomorrow until the day I die, is that there are specific choices that we can make. And what Paul is saying when he's saying be patient is that he not only is it being patient and wait, but rather being patient and actively striving to do what is good for each other. Even when you see difficult, even when you are receiving someone that's wronged you, someone that has hurt you, that has potentially <clears throat> legitimately hurt what you have, you, you know, what you feel and what you're going through. Is that no, he says, be patient and strive to do what is good. This is the paradigm shift that I think when we encounter the gospel, when we encounter that our lives being transformed, <clears throat> that Paul is mentioning. And not only does he say it for each other in the church, I want to highlight, he says, for everyone else. 
not only inside the church, but everyone else. He's calling them to a different lifestyle, a different way of living. And I think this is so important for us as we think about this. Because it is too natural to respond <clears throat> in kind, right? Not in kindness, in kind. I say this because, I mean, I have pictures that I'm thinking through, you know, just what I've encountered this past week with David and Joel. And here you see them like pictures of like, they love each other. You know, they play and they, uh, <clears throat> they are silly with each other. And ironically, we moved to a, a larger house so that we can have more space where we have our nursery and have their rooms separated a little bit so that they can sleep. But we <clears throat> were able to get a bunk bed. And instead of staying in their own rooms, they actually only want to sleep in Joel's room where the bunk bed is so that they could sleep together all the time, right? And so they're sleeping together, but at the same time, every night it's like, you know, Joel's kicking the, the bed and David's like, how come you're kicking? And then I'm like, oh, why don't you sleep in your own bed? And he's like, no, you know, they're like, then they stop, right? But then, you know, you, you see them do things and then if, you know, Joel is strong-willed and then something, you know, he is quick to respond, right? And so, you know, I feel bad because David was crying this past week and he says, you know, like I tried to tell him to stop. I tried to do X, Y, Z and he keeps on doing it. And then he finally pushes them and then Joel starts crying, right? And it is something that I realize potentially not that very diff different than what we try to do. We try and we try on our own power sometimes to not respond in, in, in the ways that for wrong with the wrong, we try to respond in kindness, doing what's right. But I think what is gonna be anchoring for us is, is probably kind of highlighted in Ephesians 4, right? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. That there is a drawback into this understanding that God has forgiven us, that we don't deserve this grace, and that because we're given this grace, that we could extend this grace to those around us. That it is not just so much of our, you know, I got to be good, I got to make the right choices, but rather stemming from this idea of understanding that no, my life is not my own. I'm living a new life in a new way as a new creation. And as Christ has forgiven me, as Christ has loved and continues to love me, likewise, I can do the same. All right, so it's not so much of I gotta do what's right, a reminder of who we are in Christ Jesus as sons and daughters of God that we can then in each way encounter and respond, not Responding wrong for wrong, but rather responding and striving for what's good for each other. I think, you know, that's <clears throat> the things that I want us to see in these, just these short three verses that we're going to finish off next week. But what we really do see <clears throat> is a picture of a growing community wrestling with leadership, wrestling with where people are, but yet at the same time growing right? Oops. I think someone clicked on it. What we see is <clears throat> what I want us to 
be reminded of and even spend time to reflect on are as you think about these marks of spiritual leadership, ask yourself, are there people that you recognize and acknowledge? Are there people that you create space for to speak truth in your life, in love? Are there people that you can also not just receive, speak truth in love? And what does that mean? That means also getting to know, caring, working hard, getting to know people to care for them so that it would be in truth and in love in the Lord. So not only is it something that do we see in our lives of, do we have that, but rather are we also spiritual leaders to those around us? Are we okay <clears throat> with the messiness of a Christian community, of a church? The reality is that it is not ideal that we will go through ups and downs and we want to create and value spaces of restoration. We want to allow <clears throat> people to wrestle and to be loved by God and to be loved by their people. Their... And do we see and are anchored by a need and a reminder for the grace that God has given us for our lives of how we live and how we extend and how we then live in striving to do good. And that's my hope as we reflect on this, even as for us, as we think, what does it look like here at Grace Life to be a growing community? What part would you and I play in each other's lives? And how would it be in ways that we would see eternal and one that is impactful? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are patient with us. We thank you that you love us first and that we do not have to perform or earn your love. We thank you that you sent your son to give us life as he died on the cross and rose, that his blood has paid for our sins and atoned for our sins, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can live this new life. And so, Lord, we are encouraged. Lord, help us to live out our lives in ways that, Lord, that is anchored by our new identity and through the lenses of a new creation. That we don't have to respond in the ways that we have in the past, but rather we could respond with striving to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Help us, Lord, to be a, a blessing to the people around us, to not just be there, to not just be in someone's life, but to be a blessing, that they would recognize your work. They would recognize your power, your spirit in our lives. They would recognize the growth that you are drawing us to. And so, Lord, we thank you again, Lord, that you never let go. And, Lord, that you call us to strive more and more because you believe in us. And so, Lord, we lift up this time. Allow us to love well to love one another well, 
to, Lord, to embrace the messiness of, of life and to embrace, Lord, heaven here on earth. Help us to live that out through this community, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name.